Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, all. Welcome to Unsheathed Live number six. six. Glad somebody's keeping track. Yes. I can, I can count to ten. <laughs> That's good. I had just forgotten. Yeah. We're just coming in here just before I started. Just saw an amazing 41-yard uh, uh, touchdown reception for the, for the Seahawks here on, on Monday Night Football, which you guys will need to put up with for a few more months before Monday Night Football isn't a thing anymore. Yeah, but hopefully people that are fans of the podcast already know our predilection for sports. Yeah, people in the chat room are talking very like, oh my god, gay people talking about sports. And I'm like, I'm not going to get into that again. <laughs> but if you don't think that gay people are allowed to like sports, then you are a horrible adherent to horrible stereotypes. Also, you've written three and a half books about football. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This is, this is going to be a really weird episode to listen to because you're going to hear us talk about football that you can't see. But that's okay. So how are all you guys doing tonight? It sounds like people are doing at least okay. Anyway, so what have you been up to lately? Lately, I've been trying to work on my writing and not getting a whole lot done, but I'm at least getting a little bit done. You know, minor progress is better than zero progress. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been mostly like kind of taking it easy the last few days since I finished editing uh, the third out of position book and um, being slightly amused that there's still people who are like, oh my God, there's a third book. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the, the thing I've been talking about for the past year. Um, but you know, not everybody, uh, not everybody follows. So, um, yeah, it's like I've got a ton of people who are like, oh my god, you're going to be at Rainforest? Like, you mean the con I've been to four times now? <laughs> yeah, and suddenly yeah. today, for some reason, everybody was like wanting to know what was going on with MFF, which is still two months away. Yeah. Um, so I was going to write a post about it, and then I kind of ran out of time because I had a bunch of other stuff to do today. But uh, the long and the short of it is I'm not going to be at MFF this year for the first time, which is kind of a shame. Um, but uh, that's because we are going to Midfur. So that's, uh, I think, a pretty good trade-off. I was going to a land down under. Yep. We're going to have a Vegemite sandwich. Kit says I have to eat one. <laughs> Wait, I thought you told him he had to eat one. Maybe. That might have been how it happened. <laughs> See, I go back and listen to our own uh, podcast so I can keep abreast of things. But um, anyway, yeah, that's going to be fun. That's going to take up a good chunk of the fall. We're going to be down there for about two weeks. Um, and unfortunately, we're leaving like the weekend after MFF, so just not up for too much travel and, and so on. Not up to your travel, it's just October. People, yeah, people, people are comparing uh, Vegemite to uh, practice for quote-unquote swallowing. I'm not sure that I would equate those two. I've tried Vegemite. I've tried Vegemite, too. Yeah. 
Vegemite is far less pleasant. <laughs> um, yes. I'm not going to comment. But yeah. at any rate. Um, yeah, so that'll be fun. We're uh, I'm, I'm doing the last of my prep for Rain First 2. I posted, in case you guys didn't see it, a preview. The first three chapters of Winter Games went up on SoFurry and Fur Affinity. So you can now read and see if you are interested in the book which a few people have been moved to pre-order it by the preview, which is good. That's what it's for. Or to at least tacitly pre-order it. Or are there active pre-orders? No, active pre-orders. Oh, wow. Yeah, you could pre-order. Fur Planet has uh, pre-orders through its catalog. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so, that's nice. And we're looking forward to launching it in three days now. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yep. Yeah, wow. That's... I can't believe it's already right on top of us. It is. And if you are... And other analogies that I can say while watching a football game. <laughs> and if you are going to um, Rainforest, uh, come to my reading, which I think is 5 o'clock on Thursday. Uh, I will probably read a little bit of Winter Games, but I will probably also read something else, and I don't know what that might be. People um, in the chat room are trying to guess it out of position 3 spoilers. Which... Kyle's not going to tell you if you're right or you're wrong. You should know that by now. Yes. <laughs> I'm just reading the whole, like... Yeah. Three is not the last of the series. Yes, but also remember that I have a reason for telling you that. Yeah. That's right. No one thinks it's unusual for an author to not tell you what's going to happen in a book that isn't even out yet. And that's... I think that's completely legitimate. And then, what else? I've been doing just kind of a lot of little things. Yeah. Stuff that I have not been doing for the past two and a half weeks because I've been editing that novel. You've been very, very diligent. I have been. Pause the keyboard. Uh, to the tune of like 27,000 words, which is pretty nice. I've been singing. Uh, real quick here. Um, yes, go for it. Ritter, on our, via Twitter... He had to go to sleep before we uh, started recording. Ritter via Twitter. Ritter via Twitter, yes. Um, so he submitted a question uh, through there. He asks, what, what form of story, novel, short story, etc., uh, do you enjoy writing the most and why? Hmm. That's a, uh, that's a good question. It is a good question. Um... Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go? Um, so I probably I probably most enjoy writing short stories the most. Uh, I tend to have fun with taking quick ideas and getting them down, and you know, sort of seeing how they turn out. It's a very it's 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 a sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Um, this, short. No, it's like a. Uh, wow, I'm a really bad writer. I can't think of an English word. It's a, a, a very self-contained experience. Ah, right, right. That's what I mean. Um, and it, it's sort of a little, it comes in its own little parcel of, you know, from inception to, you know, production, expansion, and completion. And, it, you know, it, I just enjoy seeing ideas take shape quickly and manifest themselves relatively quickly. Uh, as opposed to novel writing, which, oh god, I, I hate writing novels. 
I hate it every step of the way. Kyle can attest to this, that whenever I'm writing a novel, all I do is complain about how much I hate writing. And I won't even just complain about how much I hate writing novels. I'll start complaining about how I just hate writing, period. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. It's a, it is a very exhausting and draining process, and I stop and question multiple times along the way if it's even worth it. Um, but the sense of satisfaction I get at the end is... Uh, certainly enough to offset that. Otherwise, I would have stopped it. Um, you know, I would have stopped doing it after the first time I did it. Um, <laughs> That's true. You could have said, yeah. it's not for me. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not fun for me, but I do it because I believe in the stories I'm trying to tell, and I want to have those stories out there. The uh, For me, for me, it's, uh, it's novels. Um, I like, I like getting a chance to really spread out a story, have characters go through a lot, and I find myself, um, it's the short story idea almost has to just come to me as a short story idea, because if I start thinking, uh, this is kind of a neat situation, and I don't know how long a story it's going to be, it always ends up coming out longer than a short story. I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm trying to write con book stories, and con book stories are like, I almost have to just, they're great practice for writing short stories, and I almost just have to let go and say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I have to pare it down, I have to pare it down, but I always want to tell more of the story. And so, as evidenced by the fact that the last two books that I wrote ended up turning into two books, uh, I really do enjoy having a lot more room to spread out characters and motivations and plot and, and story and whatnot. So I'm super glad I don't have that problem. <laughs> I'm just going to say, if when trying to write a story, I wound up having to write more of something that I don't enjoy writing, I would just smash my head into a wall until I wasn't capable of, of being a yeah. intellectual enough to write. But no, it's, it's definitely, um, I, I, I like short stories. I like being able to get them done. And, I think there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. Um, the thing I like about short stories and, and novelettes is they're more open to experimentation in style and stuff. So if I think, I wonder if I could tell a story like this, um, I can just tell a short story that way. I don't have to commit to a whole novel. Whereas, for example, if I say, I wonder if I could tell a novel in first person present tense, and then I decide I want to write more of it, I now have to write every novel in first person present tense. <laughs> It's a broken way of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I mean, the the in point of fact, what happened with Out of Position was I did I wrote the first one as a short story, right, in first person present tense, and then I wrote the second short story the same way, and it just it fit the world and the characters so well that I didn't mind keeping on doing it. Darwin asks, in dialogue paragraphs, if you put in some actions, do they have to be uh, only those of the character talking? <laughs> uh, they don't, but you need to be really careful about making sure you use your uh, pronouns properly and also make sure that when you go back to dialogue attribution that you haven't lost track of who's talking. I would say... And this is one of those rules that you can you can break once you kind of know a little better what you're doing. Um, but I would say, especially if you're you're starting out, uh, limit your actions to the speaker. 
Yeah. Unless it is a specific reaction by another character to what the speaker is saying in that paragraph. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of something. If somebody's, like, talking, like, they're being, like, interrogated, and while they're talking, the other person's punching them in the face, and the character is still talking in between these things happening, then, yeah, in that case, like, yes, that would be part of the same paragraph, like, the other right. person punching them. When you move um, on to a new thought or new action, yeah. um, or new dialogue, of course, you start a new paragraph. Um, yeah. If you could take back one of your novels and, and change it, what would it be and why? I'm not sure quite what that means. Uh, I guess, I'm guessing it means like if there's one that you could go back and revise and put out again. Um, and I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, see, that's, that's really, that's, that's kind of a loaded question because I mean, like, yeah, like my first novel I wrote like, what, like seven years ago at this point. And yeah. I look at my writing from that long ago, like I hate everything I wrote back then. So I'm just like, ah, oh, I don't want this to be around. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would take any of mine um, now because they, you know, they are what they are. And as much as I, as much as I might read back through some of it and cringe, which I really, I rarely do read back through it because I'm sure I would. Um, you know, one of the things that you learn as a writer is that the, the stories are never going to be perfect. Yeah. And on rare occasions, if there's a story that really means a lot to you and you figure, okay, I tried writing this a long time ago and I wasn't very good and now I'm better at it and I'm going to, you know, give it another shot. I've seen people do that. I've seen uh, there's a short story by James Blish called There Shall Be No Darkness, which is about werewolves, which is a terrific story, and you guys should all go find it in obscure old 50-year-old collections if you can. Um, but it, that has different endings depending on which collection you find it in. Huh. And I'm not quite sure whether he revised it or um, if it was you know, submitted with an original ending one place and then he redacted it somewhere else or what, but... You know, you can do that more easily with short stories. I think, you know, for me, the novels, they are, like, they are what they are. They're a product of the time. Yeah. And in his, uh, in his intro to the reissue of the Dark Tower book one, Stephen King writes about how he was so convinced that that book was great when he wrote it when he was 19 or something. And he says now he looks back and he sees a lot of stuff that he did wrong. And there's a temptation to go back and fix it and make it better. But he said the, the book also reflects kind of this youthful innocence and exuberance that my 19 year old self had that I don't have anymore. It's much more about craft and said, you know, so I want to kind of leave it in there just warts and all because it's an expression of who I was at the time. And that's kind of how I feel about my novels also. Yeah. And the alternative is to do what George Lucas has been doing which is constantly going back to your own old work and never letting yourself be happy with it. And it was, um, it was the actor Sam Witwer who, uh, in addition to doing some voices on the, the new Clone Wars CG cartoon, uh, was also, uh, he was Darth Vader's secret apprentice in The Force Unleashed. Uh, when the Star Wars Blu-rays were released, his point was, is that... You know, with, with Star Wars being this cultural icon uh, that it is, 
uh, if he's that convinced that his new versions are better, like, oh, no, like, I'm making these changes, you know, to so you can, like, you know, to improve the movie, and I think that these improve the film, that it sort of behooves him, you know, that to on the Blu-ray, it's like, you know what, include, you know, sort of the original film document as, like, an option. It's like, you know, if you if you honestly are going to stick by your work, like, no, no, like, my version is better, then, you know, let let the audience have both and let them decide, because clearly the audience wants both. Yeah. Um, and there, there's kind of a thing that you learn as a writer where you're never going to be happy with your work. And I have this theory, which I don't think I've talked about in a little while, so I might as well bring it up again, that... Uh, every book or every creative work belongs half to the author and half to the reader. And the author is always unhappy with it because the work, there's all this stuff kind of behind the work and you're never able to put everything into the work and communicate perfectly what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. What you're putting out there is a uh, kind of a tip of the iceberg thing that gives the readers... A framework and if it's a really good story then everybody relates to that framework in some way but the readers fill in that framework with their own past and their own experiences and their own emotions and their own connections to it um, I've had people write me and tell me who their favorite characters are from the books and they're all over the board and people get what they want out of a story because they kind of include it into their own awareness. And so when you go back, if I were to go back and say, take Vol, my first novel, and go back and change it and kind of, you know, streamline it and take some stuff out and, uh, or, you know, make it a little more snappy, it would, it would not be the same book that a lot of people read and have told me they really enjoyed. It might be a book that would appeal to more people, but, you know, it's, right now it's a book that has found an audience and a lot of people have said they, um, they like it. It continues to. I, I still get emails about it. Yeah, there you go. And so, you know, who am I to mess around with it? Your Dressing Dragon asks. <laughs> Friday says he loves Helfer. <laughs> I love Helfer too, but I've told Kyle all about that. Yes, you have. But Your uh, so Dragon asks. Um, due to journalism, talking about reducing stories, do we think that reductionism uh, is applicable to fiction writing? Sure. Yeah, brevity is the soul of wit, as somebody famous once said. Some famous writer guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wrote like a bunch of plays, like you might have heard. <laughs> yeah, if you ever, uh, if you ever go read uh, James Carver, he wrote a bunch of very very short stories, and his minimalist style is very famous. Not many people can pull it off the way he did, but it's certainly worth reading. So I would go look him up. Yeah, I, I think people, I get this a lot, you sort of see this a lot in the attitudes of a lot of uh, novice amateur writers where, and not to make this sound sexual, but they're very length focused. You tend to get, like, whenever, whenever you're at panels though, they're always like, oh, well, how long should the story be? Like, how long does this need to be? And they're always like, it, there, there's I would say, seems to be like, longer is better. And I would that's say, not always the case. I would say, I would, I would say more that they're, um, measurement focused or metric focused because 
they talk about, you know, how short can I make something or how long, like, basically it's how many words does a chapter need to be? How many words does a novel need to be? And those aren't, there's no rules for that. There's guidelines. Yeah. Anything else? No, nobody does ask anything else yet. Come on, people. We need questions. You can ask questions about football, too. Yeah. It's halftime, if you were curious. Seattle is up 7 nothing, which actually surprises me. Oh, we have a question coming up about your no domestic animals thing. <laughs> All right. I've explained that in a couple places, but I'm happy to talk about it again. Well, I mean, I, I think he's phrasing the question still. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. And just wondering, you know, could couldn't wolves have sort of turned into dogs over a process of evolution? Um, theoretically, but domestication doesn't work through natural evolution. No. It's a specifically human-guided process. Yeah. Um, also, social evolution and biological evolution are two different things as well. Right. I mean, biologically, humans now and humans thousands of years ago are the same species, but there's a lot different about us, you know, in terms of, like, overall average, you know, size, height, weight, and, like, and lifespan and all sorts of things. Right. And, you know, humans have evolved into um, different races with sort of different phenotypes and stuff. And you certainly have, you know, wolves with different coats. And you could theoretically have, you know, wolves with uh, maybe husky markings. Although those tend to be more like you get you get weird coat patterns in, in mostly domesticated animals. But... Um, but in general, the the really, uh, I mean, the, the the proof that, or not the proof, the, the guidelines that I would follow is domestic dogs did not evolve in the millions of years before humans came on the scene. No. And so if you have people or intelligent wolves evolving social structures and nobody kind of forcing their mating habits to you know, develop these individual breeds, then it's just, it's not going to just happen by itself. Um, you might have a real inbred population somewhere in some remote part of the world where they've kind of, they've become so inbred that they're selected for a real specific trait, like, you know, pygmy wolves or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but otherwise, no, the, you know, domestic species don't just arise naturally. Yeah, I mean, and this all depends on, like, are there animals, like, you know, is the reason for there being animal people in your yes, stories? Yes, they've become pug pygmies. Oh, uh, that's horrible. Yes. I mean, like, you know, if, <laughs> if you're just writing a short story and the background doesn't relate on what several million years of evolution have done to cause your society to exist and you want to have an anthropomorphic husky person, then, yeah, like, don't, don't stress about it. Don't, don't force yourself to have an internal science quandary. Yeah, you know, I over mean, the background of a six thousand word story, and and for me honestly, the reason that I do that is just so that I can maintain. So it's easy for me to maintain the consistency of that world in my head. Um, so I don't have to go back and try to remember what the rules are, and uh, and so on. 
so it's just kind of a thing where I'm like, okay, all wild types, that's it, no domestics. Um, because honestly, furry worlds are hard enough to construct without. Yeah, given your if you have if you have domesticated species, then you have kind of you know rules of interbreeding and yeah, like, I mean, the, so on. The 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 key thing is consistency. There's not a right or a wrong way to do it. I mean, however you want things to work in your world, you can have them work that way. Just either make sure you either a explain it well enough so that the rules are there, or b don't explain it enough so that things are nebulous enough that people can't point out factual inaccuracies with it. Those are sort of the two right. ways to go about that. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're writing stories about animal people because we want to write stories about animal people, not because we're trying to make people, you know, require a, you know, six year, you know, postgraduate biology program, you know, to fully appreciate the intricacies of this sort of, you know, it's not it's not science fiction in the traditional sense because it doesn't yeah. it's not it doesn't stem from a scientific premise. It's not like a what if it, it would have to be it would have to be more kind of relatable. Like, you know, what if wolves had evolved um, intelligence and bipedal movement before apes did? Um, yeah. in which case you'd have a very different kind of world. And there would likely be only one or two intelligent species, so. I had an entire uh, workshop at uh, Camp Farrell about furry world creation, but that, you know, was a, that was a two-hour <laughs> workshop and not something I can cover in, like, the three minutes that we have left. Or 20 seconds. <laughs> um... Yeah, and as Flynn points out here, like he, now he knows why you have it in your mind, why it is that way. And that's a point that I don't think I can stress enough, is that for a lot of things, as long as the author knows why he has made a choice, that's the important thing. The reader doesn't necessarily need to know in explicit detail why you have decided everything. Right. The goal is not to show off to your readers. Like, check out this awesome... Uh, uh, thing. Uh, Buck Turner asks, when do we get Super Bowl picks? Uh, when the next uh, Bunker episode goes live, we have recorded it. Which should be up tomorrow. It should, oh, it should be up tomorrow? Okay, so yeah. it should be up... Uh... I was just uploading it today. And okay. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why the iOS 6 podcast app does not like our descriptions, because it should be loading them in. I mean, according to iTunes protocols, the RSS feed is all correct, as far as I can tell, so I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, but, uh, I think that, but yeah, we do make our, uh, zero picks. Will we be podcasting on Thanksgiving? Probably not because it's Thanksgiving and we'll be very busy. Yeah. <laughs> also, you be in Australia. No, we'll be here on Thanksgiving. Oh. We're leaving two days after Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, we haven't quite figured out what we're doing. I don't think we'll be podcasting on Thanksgiving. Um, though. But uh, yeah, we don't. We don't. For people who are asking, people asking what dates we're podcasting, we do not have any future dates definitely set for when we will or will not be podcasting uh, or live stream podcasting. Oh, oh, sorry, he was asking about Canadian Thanksgiving. It's oh. October eighth, which I also think is a no. Yeah, that's probably not. 
Um, I'm flying back from Galaxicon that day. Yeah. So maybe, but um, yeah, we might try to mix it up a little bit in October because I've got Rainforest and Galaxicon back to back, and then Oaklacon two weeks after that. So I'm flying back to back to the Bay here on like three of the four Mondays in October, or three of the five, whatever. I think there's five. Um, so we may do we may do one on Tuesday. Uh, we may try to do another one kind of early on a weekend to let some of our other international people yeah. join in. Um, and we will, uh, yeah, we, we'll just, we'll announce it on Twitter. Um, and, uh, and we'll let you know, but oh, no, uh, no, don't, don't ask us about politics, please. Just don't. Yeah. No politics. No politics. That's, that is not how we do this. So, um, it was bad enough that we were talking about Tim Tebow and religion so much in our Further Confusion live episode. I still could, I, I was embarrassed that that even became a thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for showing up. Um, don't know if we will have one next week, but we will be podcasting live from Rainforest. So if you're going to be there, show up at our podcast, please. Yes. Uh, we may, uh, I may try to hook up the live stream depending on how our internet access is at the, in the room. And uh, see if we can live stream the podcast as well as oh, cool. recording it. But uh, we'll see. I have an app on my phone now that'll do that. So that would be cool. Anyway, thank you guys. Peace out. <laughs>